so it, it essentially was kind of getting a group of your mates together play, join a seven team and then just kind of kicking on so like in terms of like having the crack playing good rugby and just kind of being with your mates sevens was uh, was incredible Hello and welcome to the Pro Rugby Pod. I'm your host Brian Moylet. I'm a former Irish international age grade player and each week I chat with a player, a coach or a person involved at the top end of the game to hear about their story, get their insights and find out what life is like in professional rugby. On Instagram, I'm the off-field rugby coach. That's at off-field rugby. Please follow me there and let me know any thoughts or feedback you have for the pod. Please subscribe to the pod if you haven't already. Please leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening. And also, please share the pod with some friends. Those simple actions have a big impact and are really, really appreciated. Today I chat with Ian Fitzpatrick, who has been playing with the Irish Sevens for the last number of years, and who last summer competed at the Olympics in Tokyo. Sevens isn't really played that much in Ireland, unlike in the States and other different parts of the world. We pretty much only play 15s growing up, but in 2015 the IRFU, the Irish Rugby Football Union that is, decided that they were going to start a sevens team and that they wanted the team to get into the HSBC World Series. Fitzy was in the Leinster Academy at the time and we chat about what it was like in those early days with the sevens. So they started out in the very lowest level that you can compete at which was Europe Division 3 and they were playing against teams like Malta and Fitzy chats about the crack that they had back then and the nights out that they would have after tournaments. We talk about the learning curve from never really playing sevens to playing against some of the best players in the world and Fitzy tells a funny story about when they came up against Fiji and Twickenham and what Semi Randrandra did to one of their boys. We chat for a while about the Olympics and what it was like living in the Olympic Village, the food setup that they had and some of the superstars that he bumped into. And one thing that I think is really unfortunate with Sevens Rugby is that players don't get paid much at all. And this is well known, it's not a secret. So I asked Fitzy about this and he explained the difficulties that players have in trying to negotiate contracts and ultimately why he and some other players have had to walk away. He also mentioned some potential solutions for the game, which could allow players to earn a better living and make the game more sustainable, which would be brilliant. And I fully agree with him, and there's some pretty interesting ideas. So here's episode number 18 with Ian Fitzpatrick. So I'm here with Ian Fitzpatrick, who was at the recent Olympics in Japan. Fitzy, good to see you. Good to see you, Ross. crack. It's been a while. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So with the Irish Sevens, when you started out, you were in the Leinster Academy. Isn't that right? Yeah, so I think it was my first year in the Academy. It was the first year the Sevens kicked off. And I think all the Academy boys were, were asked to kind of come down and have a try and see you get on. So yeah, I literally first year in the Academy was my first year in the Sevens as well. And so what was it like at the start with the Sevens? Like, had you played much sevens or had you much interest in sevens like it sounds there was like oh, i'll just go down and have a crack at this ah yeah to be honest, i knew very very little um there's no sevens in Ireland at the time i think i played a bit in fourth year in second school that was that was about it so yeah going in blind i really and 
it was uh, it was definitely a, an interesting kind of first few games. You kind of go around like a bit of a headless chicken. You don't know what's going on. Um, it's kind of it's good crack looking back and seeing the uh, the old games and what we used to play like. But um, no, it was it was a cool experience. Yeah, and so what was it at the start? Was it like just because I remember you were in like Division C or something, or you were in like playing like Bosnia or these random oh, European like, teams. It, that was the best crack though, man, because basically how it worked was Ireland didn't have a sevens program at all and we wanted to get to the World Series, which is obviously like the, the very top of, of sevens. But uh, to do that, we literally had to come at the very, very bottom. So we started in European Division C playing our first tournament in, I think it was Bosnia, against the likes of like Malta and Serbia and like these mad countries that I never thought would even know what rugby was and like actually so one of our first tournaments was actually Bosnia um I sadly didn't even get picked for the first tournament uh, for whatever happened but uh I think Bosnia had like one big big lad and Tom Daly who's in contact now was the captain of the team and he was our big fella and I think your man took it upon himself to be like all right I'm I'm stamping my authority here. And uh, every time he got the ball, no matter where he was in the pitch, he'd like take a beeline for poor old Tom Daly. And I think he <laughs> ran over him about twice or three ga- times in one game of rugby. And uh, I think there's a few boys saying Tom needs to hang up the boots after that. <laughs> <laughs> Big Malta boy trying to make a name for himself. Oh, man. He thought he was going to get a contract back in Ireland if he ran over the big man a few times. Oh, that's brilliant. That's gas. And um, so, what, so you spent... A while you're traveling around those like tournaments yeah so how it works is we need to go literally from division c you'd win that and then you go on the most bizarre night out of your life and then the next like few weeks later you go to division b and then i think it was like division a and then there was like the grand prix and then it was like the qualifying tournament so like we literally start at the very bottom just go to these bizarre countries and like we didn't lose a game for the first like like two or three years when we playing sevens we just like we're playing against these teams who yeah just I like i i not that it felt bad like but like they they knew coming in that they weren't like the weirds obviously is going to come in and, and, and like put on a bit of a yeah bit of a score a cricket score against them but like they still they were they're great crack and like by the end of each tournament like they'd all be singing like ireland's call in the in the beer tenders and stuff like it was always great crack there's no uh bad feelings between us yeah, and was it good fun going to those tournaments? So like, obviously, you kind of pretty much knew you were going to win, like, being realistic. And like you said, there's beer tents, and was it good fun going to them and having a crack with the lads? Ah, oh, man, like, they were so much funner than, like, the serious events now, because obviously when you get to a certain level, you have to kind of, it's it, it, it kind of takes that kind of more professional viewpoint. But it was very much like casual rugby again, social rugby, like, You'd, you'd go and you'd be nervous like because you, you want to do well and stuff but like once the tournament ends you just go straight to the beer tent you get given a load of like beer tokens and you're just on the piss and like so like i've been on the piss in like the most bizarre place and never thought i'd be like drinking my life and it was just it was the thing we all did like and it was a uh, definitely better crack than uh than it is now unfortunately yeah for sure and then so were you playing with the sevens at that point and like going off for a couple of weeks here and there and then back into Leinster? Yeah, so it worked out pretty weirdly. So obviously there were two different teams and with the with the academy, 
they're associated with the IRFU. So you kind of, everyone got released for the summer to play sevens because it's very much a game. You, you don't play it in the winter. So what would happen was the season would kick off, go to whatever, May, and then we just kick on with the sevens then for the rest of the summer. So it meant that like, the majority of lads played sevens, didn't really get breaks. You kind of just consistently going for a few years there. But it, um, it, it was good I, for myself. I had a few injuries during the season, so I'd literally come back for summer and play sevens. And that was kind of a good outlet to kind of get yourself going again for preseason. Yeah. And then, so did it get to a point then when you realized you're like, God, oh, this sevens is a bit better than going back during the winter playing with playing with Leinster? Ah, yeah. Like it was, it's definitely better crack. And you're obviously chasing the sun and you're going to these exotic places playing rugby. Uh, I think for me, anyway, personally, 15s didn't work out. Uh, I didn't, I think I did four years in the academy. Just look, usual sob story. I had a few injuries throughout my time. Probably wasn't good enough to kick on in Leinster, and I was lucky I had the sevens to kind of fall back on then as well. So it's look, you're you're not making a long term career the sevens, but you definitely have a better crack. I'd say you're not going to uh, not going over to Wales on on a wet November evening to to, to play the Dragons. You're kind of you're off to Hong Kong, you're off to Australia playing a bit of rugby. So it's it, it's very appealing. Yeah, for sure, and playing A games and that kind of carry on and trying to get as you say a game against the dragons on a, a wet january evening yeah no 100 and like the, go, the the mad thing was especially with the team we, we had we were quite lucky that we all came in to kind of i suppose we were at the same stage in our lives or we were all kind of young lads still in college um who have been playing rugby so there was no like clicks in the team there was no kind of seniority it was very much we're all on the same playing field and something that's carried on throughout the whole time so we've kind of like grown up together so it, it essentially was kind of getting a group of your mates together, join a seven team, and then just kind of kicking on. So like in terms of like having the crack, playing good rugby, and just kind of being with your mates, sevens was uh, was incredible. That's class. So did you think at the start that you were going to do something like when you were going in playing against those like crappy teams or whatever that were? We're just there making up numbers. Did, were you thinking like, all right, we want to get to this series? Like, was it very realistic? Um, I think obviously the goal when we first joined was to get to the series. That's what they told us. Like, this is our end goal for the, for the program. But I think personally at the start, uh, I'd have like ambitions to kind of kick on with the 15s and, and go that direction. So I never really saw myself sticking around for, I suppose, too long. Um, and then I think a lot, because you see a lot of lads would kind of stick for a few years in the sevens and move back into the 15s games. There's only been, I think, four or five of us that have actually sticked around for the whole time. Not sure for better or worse for it now, but um, no, it was at the start. I thought very much a couple of years, just keeps up taking over. But look, here I am, six or seven odd years later. Like so, yeah, yeah, it's class. And then, uh, how was it getting into the series? Like, I remember you were an invitational team at the start, weren't you? You were getting like some some tournaments. How was that? Yeah, so we had to we had a qualifying tournament in 2018 in Hong Kong. Um, I think going into it, like we were, we were pretty, we were probably red hot favorites. Like everyone kind of said, it was, it was very much done and dusted. We probably go through, and we end up losing to uh, to Japan in the semis, uh, and that kind of in all fairness, it knocked us pretty hard. But then we got invited back that summer to go to Twickenham as an invitational team because of where we like we fell in Europe. We were one of the best teams in Europe who who wasn't in the series, and 
we went there, we actually came third in the series in Twickenham as an invitational team, which kind of never been done before. And to be honest, I think from that moment on, we uh, haven't really looked back since. And the next year, that qualified as a core team and have been a core team ever since. So Nice one. I remember, first of all, that Hong Kong. I remember watching that, and it was the last play of the game, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, it was, it was tough. We, uh, like we didn't play great now, in all fairness, but we had an opportunity. And Mark Roach yeah. played for Lansdowne as well. He, he, you know, he had the ball, and he like, chipped over the top. Um, and, like, in all fairness, defensive ball, defensive right to him, he would have got the ball and scored. But, like, it bounced whatever the wrong way. He knocked it on, and they went off and scored from that scrum to win the game. So it was what literally like bounce ball, classic kind of cliche in rugby. Like if that had happened, we would be on the would have qualified. Probably would have kept on going, but look, here we are. Yeah, and how was that resetting? Like even I remember watching that, being like, "Oh my god!" Like even I, because I had followed you, and you were as you say, red hot favorites, and I remember that like literal one one bounce of a ball and then your whole year you know i'm sure you guys are thinking like we're going to be in the series next year and how was that to like regroup as a squad and as a team uh, uh, it was tough man not gonna lie i mean like jesus i said we were your favorites like we had um like whole like pretty much a documentary being shot for us behind the scenes like irfu were doing a big documentary and the culmination was going to be us as now a core team in the series is going to be like it's a big kind of crescendo and obviously we lost, so mm-hmm. we uh, we had like a media day booked in for when we came back, which is obviously going to be a celebration when we were going to be like, oh, it was class and we how good we are and so forth. It was like a really somber event. We kind of got into a dark room and just talked about how how uh, how bad it was losing and stuff. So yeah, it was it was very hard to reset. Um, I think those few months afterwards were were tough, but as I said, when we got to Twickenham and we came third. I think that was just the springboard we needed to kind of kick on and actually kind of give us that um, belief in ourselves more than anything else that we, we actually were good enough to kind of get there. And I suppose the momentum of that and the kind of following we kind of got from that as well from external sources. So obviously yourself, who's kind of into rugby, was always following what we were doing. But whenever we did that, like other media outlets kind of started getting on to us and people started noticing the game. And I think that momentum kind of, really stood to us and when you're doing something and you're kind of getting recognition for it as well it also makes you a bit more motivated and you know people are watching you and kind of following you and i think that kind of really drove us and did inspire us to kind of keep on going and go for the next year again 100 percent, yeah and like before you went into play against those big teams saying twickenham was any fear or like how were you uh... facing up into that yeah, I think the first game obviously is it was like against Australia, and there was a bit of I mean, like you're as a young enough lad playing in Twickenham for your country, um, you're always going to be a bit nervous and a bit apprehensive, and we weren't sure how we we're going to get on, like, and you don't want to embarrass yourself and stuff. But like going into the weekend, I I kind of said like, my game for me is is going to be England and Twickenham. That's kind of what I want to play. So before we played them in the, the third, fourth mm. place playoff, I, I wasn't nervous at all. I was just proper buzzing to kind of get out there. And I've kind of, when we, when we won, like obviously it was such a shock. Like we did like a lap of honor coming third. And like, you know, so I don't think a Twickenham crowd has ever cheered an Irish team who's just beaten England. So it was, it was a pretty cool moment for us as well. 
So you got a few cheers from the locals. Yeah, it was interesting. Man. Like we were getting like all the, the English fans, their jerseys and stuff were offering us pints and wanted to get photos and stuff, which is like, which was a bizarre experience, but it was so cool. That's class. And um, so you mentioned there at the start, like watching back old games, like that you were not great at sevens and none of you had played. And I know like in Ireland, there's literally no sevens. When I went to the States, there's tons of it. Like they play a lot. And I learned then like game plans for sevens when I went to the States. But so when you were starting out, I'm sure you, you were all just having a crack, taken into contact all the time. And was there a big learning curve to learn the game along the way? Ah, yeah, 100%. Like, I mean, from where we started off, and I suppose the opposition dictates how you play the game as well. Like, when we first kicked, when we first played, it was very much kick the ball off. We'd have um, Adam Byrne chasing the ball. He'd tap it back. We'd go one phase, get it to the wing, Alex Wotton, and he'd usually score. But obviously, not going to work against like a, a core team. So, yeah, you, you learn, and, and you learn along the way, kind of small tips and tricks. And so it was positioning wise and there there is tactics as much as like it's an open flowing game you can play it with tactics and i think that's kind of one thing that we that kind of drove our success was obviously the game of sevens is always it's for the fijians uh throwing the ball around it's like this expansive rugby and i think we we went classic irish and went for a 180 approach and was that the consistency and just like low air counts, don't give the ball away easy, just be a bit of a dog in defence. And like it stood to us, like we don't play the most attractive rugby in the world, but like you, it's, you, you don't care if you're winning, you know what I mean? So that's what worked for us. And they're the tactics we employed and, and they worked. And you work, but you have to work on those tactics and you have to kind of change up from game to game as well. So if you're playing against a team who you know are going to like give you the ball and they're happy to sit back, you need to play out a bit more. If you're a team like a South Africa who are going to come at you, you need to find ways of kind of, I suppose, getting around that, which is one thing I found really interesting was, was learning those kind of tactics. Yeah, for sure. What kind of um, teams did you like playing against? Did I like playing against? Um, I always enjoyed playing Australia and England. Uh, I think our game plan really suited playing against them. Uh, and they were like... They're 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 good characters. They're a bit mouthy and and they'll get at you a bit, which is which is great. And I enjoy that side of the game. Um, I always you always enjoy playing against like the Fijians because you're in the tunnel and like we're we're quite a small team in comparison to everyone else. And you're just standing there and like man for man, they're about five inches taller than us, about two times as wide. And like you can only laugh to at yourself. Um, and it is literally very much like men against boys. Um. But I, you always kind of enjoy that. And it's good crack playing against, like, we play against, like, the best in the world, like, Semi Rajraj, or played against him in Twickenham, uh, Tuisovo. Like, you're, you're playing against these boys so you're going to see week in, week out. Um, I think, like, we played in Twickenham. We, uh, we played Fiji in the semi-final that first year. And, like, obviously for the game, like, lads, like, they're only, whatever, seven men. Like, it's, there's no difference. Like, we can, we can go at them here. I think there was a knock on by us in the first ten seconds, and then they get they get a scrum. Rodriguez in the centres, and um, we're like, "All right, lads, come on, big D, get the ball back here." And Rodriguez gets the ball, and you know Jimmy O'Brien, yeah, uh, Leinster Jimmy O'Brien, he was the centre against poor old Rodriguez, and I've obviously he swatted him away like a fly. And I think <laughs> after that, like we were like, "All right, lads, next play." But we all knew, like we knew we were gone, like. <laughs> 
yeah 100 i know that when it's like you try and say it to each other but you all know yeah. like everyone oh, knows yeah. <laughs> look like seeing jimmy's face getting back off the ground i actually felt bad for him i was like get this lad <laughs> get this lad a hand yeah and, and then you're yeah. under the sticks and you're trying to tell each other that it's all good and it's you're going to yeah, start again yeah, and yeah. you know nil nil boys we go again yeah, but it's yeah. like, next score next score next thing yeah. you know it's 40 40 nil like you're trying to get the next score <laughs> Yeah, chasing your tails. But um, yeah, it's still unreal getting to play those boys. And uh, mm. do, do, do you find like when you're playing sevens that you just run, like there's just so much running and it's just so high pace compared to 15s where you can think a bit more and uh, take a second? Yeah, no, like it's like sevens is you're just, no matter how fit you are, you're just going to be tired regardless. Like you just need to accept the fact that no matter what, how you play, who you play, you're just going to be tired. I think that's what makes really good sevens players, like just being able to like make the right decision under pressure and under like like physical and mental fatigue is like how good are your basic skills and that's the difference between fifteens and sevens. Is a fifteens obviously so slow and like like it's slow in comparison and Mm. you've time to think and you can be kind of methodical. Whereas sevens very much go go go. How how, out of like ten passes under fatigue, how many those can you actually make? And it's the first team makes the most, like the high percentage usually wins, um, which is I always thought was interesting. Yeah. And what kind of training would you be doing for it? It's all like unstructured stuff. So there's no like, you know, 15s, you'll kind of step through kind of like this person gets the ball here and then it's this pod one on this angle and, and you're hitting, you're clearing mm-hmm. here. It's very much like get the ball and play unstructured and then play from there and try and get into your shape. It doesn't matter who's in the shape. But just we have a shape we want to get into, get into that, and they kind of they'll blow up along the way. But a lot of it is kind of just high paced, just keep on going, keep on getting the legs moving, and get you under fatigue, and then can you make the right decisions most of the time? Yeah, and with sevens, is it mostly that like on the wings you get a big guy on one side and a quick guy on the other side, or is that too yeah, too simple? Like, like I mean, it's simple and effective. I know America they do it so well. Yeah, they have uh, Barrett on one wing and then Baker Isles on the other wing. Yeah, and like that's just a like such a damaging combination. Not too many lads like Barrett knocking around who can do that. What he does, mm-hmm. so like if you give him the ball on one wing, he'll suck in two, maybe three lads, and then should any of an overlap with two of the fastest men in world rugby, you're probably going to score. So we didn't have luxury of having a Barrett, so we had to kind of figure out what what, what we could do. So we. We have Jordan Conroy, who is probably up. The, he's up there with the boys, obviously with with Baker and Isle. So we were more kind of we had him and Terry Kennedy, and Terry Kennedy is an unbelievable man for kind of sitting someone down. So we usually kind of just try and crash up as much as we can in the middle, pull pull the team to one side then, and then we're looking to see if we can get the ball into Terry Jordan's hands and let them work their magic a lot of the time. Which is uh, interesting, but yeah, if there's, if there's any Irish uh, Barrett's out there that want to play sevens, definitely get involved. Yeah, 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 for sure. Get your get your get yourself involved, sure, you know. Yeah, for sure. Come just back. have to just have to get fit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, because yeah, that's what it looked like when I was watching. You. Like Jordan Conroy in the wing used to carve up, and I was just thinking you're doing something right. You know, like it's the set, the American team, and I think a lot of collegiate teams in America, they tried the exact same thing with, you know, big guy and a quick guy. But I was just watching, I was like, yeah, just trying to understand because it looked like you were getting him space a lot, Jordan mm. Conroy. Yeah, no, we, like, 
we do and we like that but like i think for us as well like uh, our cash pass is, is very good so if other teams are slow to get the ball to kind of the second last man last man we're, we're extremely quick at getting it there so that's where the space comes for him so like we do we, we do need a, a wider pitch if that makes sense so we like a wider pitch um and then yeah you just you're hoping to kind of give someone like a terry a bit of space to kind of try and get this last man to bite in even half like if he turns his shoulders anyway joyo's just gonna go anyway so it's it, it works it's whatever whatever we do it works yeah yeah that no, was good and um do you ever practice kicking personally well no instead sorry the team the team i suppose the team um like in open play no 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 we like we have we do kick, but we don't. We wouldn't practice it. It's very much like off the cuff. If it's on, it's on. But it would be something we would, we would go out and actively practice. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, just because sometimes you'd see teams like putting kicks in behind and chasing mm. and whatever. But yeah, no, it's just wondering would it be practice or not. No, no, no. As I said we're kind of that kind of lower percentage team, so or like high percentage. So we want to kind of the, the low risk plays. Yeah, other yeah. teams, other teams do it really, really well though. Um, and if it's done well, it's 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 very quite devastating so it's yeah. probably something we will the lads will look to implement over over the next few years that's it yeah and what was your favorite moment with the sevens um ah, oh, probably two probably qualifying for the world series in 2019 and then in monaco just gone qualifying for the the olympics was uh was pretty special uh i suppose when you just like when you finish a game or finish a tournament matter what it is but when you finish tournaments and you've won something big it just like i don't know it's just that classic kind of you go to the trenches with your mates and it just feels so much better um i think those yeah those two moments that kind of always stick with me now for for the rest of my life which is pretty cool yeah and what was it like yeah becoming an olympian that's pretty mad ah it was completely nuts like i mean obviously it's something when i was a young lad playing Athens 2004 on my PlayStation 2 or whatever it was like you're always like geez I wouldn't mind going to the Olympics like if you, if you could see, yeah if you can see me now I probably don't lend myself to, to being an old track and field star so I just got very lucky with the sport I picked and, and how did it end up being an Olympic sport but ah oh, look it's 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 not like an, again, anyone I talk to it's obviously one of the first things they want, kind of want to talk about now um, over the last few months and they always, they're always like, oh, you're probably sick of talking about it. But to be honest, man, I, I love talking about it. Like, there's worse things to be asked about. So, uh, no, no, I'm, I'm enjoying it for as long as I can. I'll keep yeah. on, uh, I'll squeeze as much as I can out of it. Uh, you'll still be in Olympia when you're 60 or 70. Yeah, keep going. That's all right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my wrinkly tattoo will still be there. Like, and my, my, big, my big belly, like, like fucking yeah. grandkids won't believe that I was an Olympian. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, I was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And so what was it like over there, heading over to Japan? Bit odd with COVID, was it? Yeah, it was It was different now. I think, like obviously, it was still an unbelievable experience, but if it was pre-COVID, it would have been uh, incredible. Like, obviously, Japanese culture in general just do things really well. And, like, it was still cool, and the village is awesome. And you're seeing, like, superstars of the world, and you're kind of eating dinner with them and, like, beside them or you're kind of rubbing shells with them which is which is awesome and just kind of I suppose when you're younger you hear these things about the village and how cool the village is and stuff and actually being in there it was it was it was pretty cool yeah so what was the village like is it like a load of apartment blocks 
in an area yeah. like cafeterias or what is it like yeah so like if it, if, if it wasn't the olympics it'd probably be pretty grim like it's just a load of like gray apartment blocks stacked beside each other um each team gets a couple of floors like the likes of like america and china have whole blocks of themselves like we were wedged in between we had like finland sweden and israel were in our block so we all kind of shared different floors like it's class man like you're going around and you get these like um swipe card things and there's like uh like vending machines dotted around the place and it's just like unlimited like coke or powerade whatever you want like which is obviously wasn't great like but like you're enjoying it It was only coke zeros but like you're smashing them the whole time and then you go into the uh into like the the food hall like which is just nuts like there's like two stories like the size of like two football fields and like fill the chairs and on the outside is all like food things and it's like every cuisine you can kind of think of like and it was just on like 24 hours a day. Like we rocked up on the first night because we came in late, like four o'clock. I'm like, gosh, I wonder if it's going to be open here. We come in like, and it's a full, like everything's going to go to go. Like, and we were eating like, she's like, I had like 15 dumplings, like four in the morning getting in, like, and then <laughs> but three desserts. Like it was good. It was a lunacy, like it was glass. But apparently like it was free COVID. We would like, there's like, there's beer in the, or like alcohol in the, in the village as well. We, we, we weren't allowed like, you couldn't have it in there so we uh like if it was pre-covid you can kind of like once your tournament's finished you can kind of go in there get pissed whatever you want to do and then go out to the events like see if you could play your pass and you can go to any event you want to go to yeah unfortunately we couldn't do that this time but yeah look i'll have to i'll have to go back as a as a spectator maybe and, and try to sneak into the village again yeah for sure no that sounds class and so like every different cuisine yeah like it's like you think like every single nationality is there there's so many different palettes they eat different food yeah so you need to be able to give everyone what they're gonna want to eat so yeah. uh like like you man you literally like you've seen these lads with like mountains of food of different things like you literally you get something you go oh, that was class as well go up and get that you walk in your chair again you see something else like so like i usually during like 20 weeks i kind of lose weight but i'm pretty sure i put on a I put on a kilo or two when i was over there yeah yeah and it's funny as well the way you'd be there like as a as an athlete whatever but you know the the young lad in you is like oh free food oh i can get this i can try this i can get a dessert yeah, i can do this i know well, man that's that's what that's what i know as well obviously like you look from the outside in you're like oh, all these athletes in here are gonna be like super like clean and like eat only like vegetables whatever like everyone's eat like the most popular thing was the pizza for sure like there's that was the biggest yeah. queue like the pizza and the dumplings like that's all everyone wants to eat <laughs> yeah yeah so uh that was that was nice to know that you're not alone though like every, everyone enjoyed kind of eating eating junk food every now and again yeah and did you see any like big superstars or what was that like yeah so uh saw Djokovic knocking around saw Lao Ming you know the basketball player yeah uh Lao Ming is it yeah, yeah Ming. like seven yeah yeah, yeah like seven yeah. foot something like he was there and like he was probably the most impressive specimen I've ever seen in my life. He was he was sitting down in a chair and he was as tall as me standing up, which was cool. Like Simone Biles was was around as well. It was really cool to kind of see her. But I suppose all the kind of like the big, big um dogs, like the kind of like American basketball team, they stay out of the village. They want to have nothing to do with the riffraff knocking around the, the complex looking for photos and stuff. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, was, I listened to Sonny Bill's book there recently and he was saying the same thing. He was like, oh, we we're walking around and then we, we saw some of the American basketballers or whatever. But I think he said that um, they stayed on a, or I don't know, was this Rio or is it um, Tokyo? But they stayed on a boat off the thing like a big massive cruise yeah. or whatever like yeah like they're not they're not slumming it in the single beds no, no, no. they're not sleeping on the cardboard beds in the village now so they're yeah, one 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 the jet like yeah and what were the what was it like was it like hotel rooms or apartments or it was like apartments but i think what the plan what the plan is so they're gonna like once the olympics is over they're gonna like turn these apartments into like house or like living apartments for like local residents and stuff so basically what it was was just like like makeshift walls because they're going to change the layout for whenever they change it back in the houses so it was like we in ours we had um two rooms three rooms of two uh with like a common area but like it was essentially like being in boarding school like you're kind of like with your mates having a bit of crack and like um there was like two bathrooms wasn't great and like a table and chairs like it was there was there's no luxury involved it was very much like what did you need to survive and given that which is i think fair enough like yeah 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 um and then with the seven so you were with leinster as you said in the academy for four years so like was there a point then when you just stopped being with leinster and were just an irish sevens player yeah so i think it was i think it was 2018 2019 I just got told that I wasn't uh, wasn't getting kept on in the academy, um, and but at that time I kind of knew it was coming because I was essentially just playing sevens full time. I wasn't in in Leinster at all, so it was a conversation I knew it was coming, um, which is nice because there was no kind of I know some guys that kind of get told and they're kind of stuck in limbo and then trying to find a new club or, or whether what they're going to do with their lives. But I very much was like, well, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing anyway. So it was it was nice in, in that respect. So yeah, it's about. 2018 i think i got told that it was there was there was nothing more there for me yeah and i remember hearing or seeing in the times in the papers that there's a bit of like issues around you getting contracted with the sevens yeah. like contracts is, is is has always been a bit of an issue with the with the sevens and just kind of like so it's compensation for kind of what you're doing uh it's a tough one um for us, just because obviously you're doing something you love with, with your mates, but you kind of also want to kind of get a career out of it as well. And the way Sevens is set up at the moment is very much like a development system for, for young guys coming through. So when you get to a certain age, it's uh, you do kind of have to think about the long term and what you're going to do with the rest of your life. And I think a lot of lads kind of have to make the decision to step away, unfortunately. And it's just one of those things. I don't think COVID helped, but it is still very much seen as a development platform as opposed to like a, a sustained career for lads to take yeah and so some boys step away like just because like oh i can't make a living from this or this is just isn't feasible to keep yeah, doing long term yeah like it's it's long term it's probably not feasible um so there was yeah was, i think there was five of us stepped away including myself this year uh stepped into a big boy job i could say it is tough because obviously i'm 27 now arguably kind of peak like my playing abilities and just because of how it's all set up at the moment um i probably won't get to play rugby for the best years of my life uh physically and stuff so hey look it, it is what it is at the moment hopefully in the next few years it will change and and it will kind of 
become something that guys can go into and do for a few years and really kind of set themselves as like a stalwart within the sevens. But if nothing changes, I don't know, I think the program might struggle because you do need core lads around you. As, as much as you want to get young lads through, you, you need lads who have played the game. And as you said earlier on, they know, they know the tactics and they know how to actually beat these teams. So, look, we'll see how the next few years go, but fingers crossed it, that something changes. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's it's kind of like nearly worldwide. Like I've heard Mike Friday talk about the problems that those Americans have that they're not getting paid much. And it's like, mm-hmm. we can't expect lads. I think he said, I heard him in interviews, like they can't afford to take their missus out for a meal. And it's like, you know, it's like they're not getting paid. Mm-hmm. And But then I think you've guys like obviously Carl Niles, Perry Baker that are getting huge endorsements. So it yeah. is um it is difficult but i think it's what you said there about having four or five guys that that'd be a good a good um like system to have where there's a, a core group that are actually paid enough and then others can filter through because that is what happens a lot isn't it like a lot of guys come and go as you say yeah 100 percent. but it's 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 a great idea to have it as a development platform because you get young guys in who maybe are on the cusp of kind of playing for their province so, like, they can play AL, which is great. It's obviously getting better over in Ireland. But to be able to kind of go away and send these guys off to massive stadiums to play in front of big crowds, in front of well-established teams, this, the experience they get from that is, is going to be huge. So, as I said, it'd be nice to get to a stage where you have core lads who are there and know the game inside out. Um, and you mentioned kind of, Baker and Isles kind of getting endorsements, but like that's that's two guys out of a full squad of twenty odd players. So there's there's twenty odd lads who aren't do, getting that money, uh, and it is tough. You kind of how do you monetize sevens? Because well, well, firstly with the contracts, you you can't go and negotiate a contract because your negotiation is either pay more money or I'm gonna I or I'm gonna retire. Uh, it's not like pay more money or I'll go to this other team. That's one thing where the issue comes in. And the other thing is it's the, the way the series is, everyone shares the pot. So there's probably not that much money going to each province or to each um, union. So it's it, it's about justifying the game and, and justifying the salary as well is, is the tricky one. Um, whether that is there, I know there's big interest from, from private investors for, for different teams and they're kind of, it's growing, especially in America. And I think, I think that's that's the way forward is kind of getting these private tournaments going so lads can maybe like the IPL in cricket where you can play a bit of the season get picked up by these teams make a bit of money for yourself and then go back to your to your country then for a few months um how that works I don't know I'd love to kind of look into it myself and see what can happen but at the moment I think something does need to change or else the game is is, is going to struggle because he's not gonna have, you won't have the best lads playing um which is just a sad, uh, yeah, it would be very sad if the game kind of died off because of that. Yeah, for sure. And it does seem like that it's kind of a, just being kept going at the moment. But did you see the PR7s in America recently? Yeah, 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 yeah. So things like that, are that's that's kind of what you need, are those kind of those kind of PR7s. And, and I know there's a few tournaments going on over in Europe at the moment as well. Um and there are things guys can pick up and they can go to and travel to and make money. And I think that's kind of where we need to go to. No, hundred percent. That'd be a great idea. And like I say with the IPL, like you could do your, your core stuff, series stuff for six months and then play in these one or two tournaments. I definitely think there is interest there for like 
and it's good that they're doing it in America because the game is exciting and yeah, there has to be interest there for people to watch on TV. Oh yeah, 100%. And I think if you promote it right and sell it the way it's supposed to be sold, like a festival of rugby, it's mm. it's different to 15s. 15s, you'll go to an Ireland-New Zealand game if it's raining outside because you want to see Ireland-New Zealand play in a test game. Mm. Sevens, if it's raining outside, you're probably not going to go. Like It's very much like dress up, have a bit of crack, joy there's rub there's like rugby going on the background probably not the biggest priority for a lot of people but like it's there and it's sunny and it's a good time and that's how it needs to be sold um to people and to grow the game as well i think that's kind of where that's the kind of point it needs to get to yeah for sure and yeah people want to go as you say for the crack like i've been to vegas sevens in vancouver here and it's like the amount of people that have no idea what rugby is like you know it's like oh you're going to the sevens you know, people who haven't yeah. a clue, but they're there for the crack. And it's, it's yeah. you know, a lot of people go. It's, I think it's one of the biggest events in the stadium in Vancouver every year. Class. And that's what it is. Yeah, it's, it's something you bring your mates to look. I heard this thing. It's a bit of crack. Dress up. Let's get going to it. Like, that's that's when you sold out. Yeah, 100%. And um, so you mentioned there your big boy job now. What are you up to? Yeah, so I'm kind of thinking about my third week now working full time. I'm working in uh, cybersecurity. Um, working for a firm in Dublin, which is obviously very different to uh, to the rugby world, but it's actually it's it is interesting. Like obviously in rugby, I think in sevens anyway. My big thing was kind of defence. Probably I wasn't as quick as as Jordo and and the like, so I kind of had to find my own niche. And it was usually defence, and I suppose I'm probably working in defence now with kind of cyber security and stuff I'm doing now. But it's good, and like it's it's opening up different opportunities and chatting to really cool people. And kind of like with the sevens, you come in and you you're always learning and figuring out how the world works and different tactics and stuff. So it's, uh, it is different and you do miss the crack. And that's probably one thing I'm going to miss now is just the lads and like the, the van team might like in the dressing room and stuff. And I suppose then when you go see them, they're off to Dubai in a few weeks. Like I'll be stuck in Dublin, uh, probably pissing rain here. And obviously in those lads, kind of their stories and stuff, having a great time in Dubai. I think that'll be when it's going to hit me hardest, but I'm a happy decision. I said, Unfortunately, it had to be made as well. So, um, yeah, that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. And um, do you think, are you still like going to train or you still play any rugby or, or what are you going to do? Yeah. So, I'm uh, I actually I dislocated my shoulder over in Tokyo. So, I'm, I'm rehabbing a shoulder injury at the moment. Uh, I say I definitely will go back. Uh, it's funny, Shandu, one of the other guys who retired, and he was saying it's been the first time in years where he's been able to walk down the stairs uh, without holding the banister. So, uh, I mean, I enjoy my body not being sore, but like I said, you miss, you miss getting out there and kind of just going out with your mates. And as I said, when you're finishing a game, no matter what kind of game it is, it's always a good feeling when you're kind of sitting in the change room and having a couple of beers with, you, with the lads is, is something you don't get if you're just, I don't know, out on the Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It doesn't feel as good, I don't think. 100%. Yeah, 100%. They're the best beers after a big win. Oh, man. Yeah, stop, man. They're so good. Yeah, and you mentioned there injuries. You had, you've had a few. Have you had a, a few different injuries? I remember you did your shoulder, and we were playing together in Cork Con one time. Yeah, yeah, that was one of my first AL games. I think. Yeah, that was that was my first injury. That was the the start of a slippery slope for me. But uh, ah, look, no different than anyone else. People get injured all the time in rugby. But yeah, I had had like I've done had three shoulder surgeries. Uh, I've done my ACL, got done my wrist, and I've got my ankle done as well. So. Like 
look, it's it's an abrasive game. People get injured all the time. Um, I've no regrets, and like I'm not going to say that's the reason I did or didn't make it. Maybe in 15s, but um, yeah, look, I suppose everything happens for a reason. If I don't think if I didn't have those injuries, I probably wouldn't have stuck with the sevens, maybe, and so I wouldn't be here now and being able to say I qualified for the series and I went to the Olympics. So I suppose it all works out in the end. Yeah, for sure. And is there anything, say that first injury versus the last one, is there anything you've learned from them? Because I like did my shoulder, got surgery, all that. And it was like tough. It was a lot tougher than I thought. You know, I thought it'd be like, I oh, just get surgery, you just do your rehab and you're back. But um, no, not the case. Like it's, you know, it's long. Yeah. yeah. Oh, stop. Yeah, no. Yeah, you know yourself. It's, I suppose, yeah, the big difference is the realization of kind of the extent of, of what, what it means and was how long you're going to be out for i think when everyone gets their first surgery they get told like oh you'll be out for four months and i think everyone's all oh, be back in two like it's crap it'll be fine mm, yeah. uh i think the older you get the more you realize okay that's that's they say whatever four months for a reason yeah. so so this one was kind of different for me though as well because when I, I i knew i was going to step away after the olympics so when i suppose i knew my shoulder was gone it's just kind of a case of like that's 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 it now like that's kind of how it ends um and i was supposed it was nice because there was no pressure then to kind of come back because so when you, when you do your shoulder and you're trying to come back something there's a lot of kind of you put pressure on yourself and on everyone around you and it kind of it can, can i suppose you can kind of put your put your kind of frustration on everyone else whereas this one's very much like i'll get surgery see what happens i'm in no rush i'll just take my time which is it actually has been very nice it's different way to rehab myself going to the gym and yeah just not kind of stressing about getting back for a certain date or a certain game yeah yeah no for sure you do 100 percent need to take your time and it's yeah trying to push yourself going back early it's like yeah it doesn't it doesn't help yeah. often oh no no never does yeah and um you mentioned there like have you had any like tough times during your career yeah i mean like it's obviously um when you kind of realize that like maybe not getting kept, kept on in Leinster, it's, it takes a while to kind of process that. Uh, and I think like a big thing for me as well was, well, yeah, kind of finding your identity outside of, of rugby and kind of like as I was growing up in school and stuff, I was always kind of known as the lad who played rugby and, and that was kind of as well as the extent of it maybe. Um, so yeah, kind of trying to find out what you want to do outside and kind of who you want to be known for as well was was a big one. I wouldn't say it was, it was tough or it was anything, but it was something I kind of worked on and, and definitely kind of was proactive in figuring out that I, I didn't want to kind of finish my career and then be kind of lost. This was like the only other time I would think that I was not even just a bit kind of struggling a bit was when I did my, my ACL, like just cause it's such a long slog of a, of a recovery. And a lot of it's just the same, the same repetitive stuff every day. Um, and like, I think I got into a bad habit of just like getting up at like half six going, doing my rehab be back in bed by nine i get up at like one or two and then just like doing nothing with my days um mm -hmm. and like that was like a couple of months doing that like and you kind of you need someone to kind of get you out and kind of get you kind of out of a rut or out of like a a bad habit i'd say yeah yeah for sure and did they help you you mentioned there about identity and whatever i think that's huge like as you say like if you're at your level you're gonna have been really good at high school or secondary school and then been doing it all the time but do they help you with doing stuff outside of rugby 
So, yeah, like we have the RPI, there's Aaron, they're, are really good. They're our union. Um, and they're actually, they, they, they do some great work. Um, like I, like I was pretty engaged with them um, in terms of like kind of getting onto them and doing, and doing different things. And, and they are really good at kind of pushing it. But I do think it is something, um, and it's something I'm kind of, I'm kind of hopefully going to do in the future as well or keep on going up is kind of, so I was talking to young lads coming through and, and kind of, so it's getting themselves ready for the transition out of rugby because like no matter who you are if you're playing for Ireland you you're, you're not going to be able to make enough money to, to not work after you play rugby yeah. uh, and there's only a select few who actually get to uh, get to be the commentators and, and get to kind of go to the games and make money that way so you're going to need a proper job and I think that transition period making that as easy as possible is something I kind of want to help and kind of advise lads because I feel like I've personally I did it quite well um, and I, there was no kind of I wasn't dreading finishing off if that makes sense. So yeah, I think it's a big thing going forward. Yeah, for sure. And um what could like you say there advice for young lads? Would there be would you give any advice to say a nineteen, twenty, twenty one year old who thinks that they're gonna play rugby forever and never have to work and all that? Oh, it's 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 hard, man. No advice is gonna help. Like I mean, I uh I got plenty of advice when I was a young lad, and it didn't take until I maybe you need a bit of fear struck uh, mm. into you to kind of actually do something. Because like I'm not gonna stand here and be like, oh, I'm gonna chat to this young lad now. He's gonna change his ways. I mean, like every young lad wants to just play rugby, and that's it. Like so, um, oh, look, I wouldn't have advice, but I I wouldn't have an, I wouldn't be preaching, but I'd offer advice if someone wanted to kind of um, young lads in, in the squad have kind of come up over the years and being like they kind of not they're kind of like well what should i do now like i wouldn't tell them to do anything but i kind of if they came to me i, I definitely kind of give them some words of wisdom if i could yeah no. more than likely uh, no that'd be brilliant and uh so you think of doing that with rpi is that it uh so yeah i've been on to them to kind of see what we can what can we do going forward and if there's anyone that kind of needs to, to reach out i'll be happy to help but there's nothing really set in stone or or, or kind of solid plans in place yeah no that'd be good that's so important yeah to hear like whatever you're doing to talk to people who've already done it oh yeah it makes sense like that make it as easy as, as you can for yourself don't try and reinvent the wheel like i mean you're not the first person to retire you're not the first person to do something so definitely get advice off other lads i think even now like i'm very much like if i have a question i don't know it's stupid i'm still gonna ask someone like cause i'm better off asking someone getting the answer and trying to figure out myself and kind of can be completely way off 100% that's something I only learned like really recently which is a bit embarrassing I think but like you know when I'm young I'd be trying to like solve everything myself and trying to do everything and then it's like here just just ask this fella he knows you know just know, yeah. be humble yeah <laughs> yeah 100% man. people are nice enough friends. if you ask in the right way they're gonna help you like exactly exactly people are nice and people do want to help yeah for sure um, well, here, Fitzy, it's been unreal catching up. I know that you uh, have a meeting shortly. Um, but thanks, Mill, for your time. And uh, no, no. yeah, I've been class. It's great to chat, man. Great to, to see you doing well. Hopefully, it keeps on going well for you. Cheers, bud. Unreal, man. I hope you enjoyed the chat. If you did, please send it on to a friend. I loved hearing that in the early days when they were rising up through the divisions that they're having the crack, getting on the piss and enjoying themselves, enjoying the journey. You hear too often about rugby being so professional at times that it can be a drain and not enjoyable anymore. 
I was also really jealous about the food set up in the Olympics. An all-you-can-eat buffet with cuisines from all around the world sounds absolutely unreal. And lastly, I think it's really unfortunate, I mentioned this in the intro, that Sevens players get paid so little and that some of them have to make a decision to walk away from the game while they're at their peak to earn a living essentially. Although I do get it, I understand that there's not infinite money floating around in rugby and there's budgets and restraints and it's a business at the end of the day. But hopefully, like we were chatting about, these private leagues, these sevens competitions like the PR sevens in America can grow and players can earn extra money in the off season, as well as getting paid by their unions to play with their country. There's definitely an appetite for sevens rugby, for spectators to go and see it live 100%, like I mentioned in Vancouver here, it's one of the biggest events that happen in the city each year. And I think that there's market there for it to be viewed on TV. My Instagram is the Off Field Rugby Coach. That's at Off Field Rugby. Please follow me there. I put clips of the podcast up and also share content around mental skills. If you have any feedback for the podcast, you can send me a DM there. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts as well, please take 30 seconds to leave a rating and a review. That really small action helps the podcast grow, as Apple then pushed out to more people when they're searching for rugby podcasts. Thanks Emil for listening to this episode, really appreciate it. And if you like Sevens Rugby, in episode 8 I chatted with Matai Leuta, who is a key guy for the USA Sevens, was also at the recent Olympics and yeah, just a really insightful and interesting person. I think you'd like that episode as well. Cheers.